The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. And welcome everyone, this is episode 55 of the Boys of Tech for Monday the 1st of March 2010. Your hosts are Edwin Herman, that's me, and Brett King, welcome along. Hello. Brett, I understand you've got no office at work, they've recarpeted it, and you've got no door. Well, I do have a door now, they, they did manage to put a door on, on Friday afternoon. Oh, that's but, handy. Yeah, it was quite handy, but yes, prior to that, there was no door. Turned up in the morning, brand new carpet, and no door. <laughs> that reminds me of the Faulty Towers episode where they're missing a door. <laughs> and was it Basil, I think, or someone reassures him, oh, I'm, I'm sure it'll turn up somewhere. <laughs> it was replaced by a wall. Yes. Anyway, uh, well, it's good to know that you're getting your office back slowly, bit by bit. Hope you enjoy mm-hmm. the new carpet. I'd love new carpet in my office. Kicking off episode 55 this week, well... Microsoft's taking on a botnet. Did you see that story, Brett? I did. Quite interesting. They're having a go at the whale deck botnet. Yes. But the most interesting part about it is the way that they're doing it. They're going through the, the legal system. The legal the, system? The legal system. Microsoft? <laughs> yeah, indeed. You know, it's shocking. There's... there's <laughs> They're so foreign, those two. But <laughs> yeah. so to tell us about how they're, how they're doing this. Well, Microsoft filed a complaint in the federal judicial system in America to get a temporary restraining order to shut down the internet domains believed to be used by the criminals running the WhaleDeck uh, botnet uh, as the, the command and control servers. Yeah, so, so they're, they're basically yanking the domain names, right? Yes, through a court injunction. And yeah, it's quite interesting where they've done this. It's not a technological solution. It is, you know, a, a legal uh, solution here. They used a, a legal principle called ex parte TROs. So ex parte meaning without notifying the, the other person and TRO standing for temporary restraining order, which is and what they got. Of course, it's important not to tell the, these people because otherwise all they would have done is modified the... The bots. Indeed, they would have used their so, command so and yeah. control servers to send out to their botnet. Don't t- <laughs> we are no longer going to be your command and control servers? These domains are going to be them. So yeah, and then point to these ones. They'd always so, be yeah, behind. Yeah, they would always be on the catch up. So that 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 part of them not having to tell, <laughs> not having to notify the other party that they're taking down their domains, was quite important to that. But yeah, the number of internet domains that they were um, got the order to. Um, shut down 227 227 internet domains believed to be used as the command and control domains for the wild deck botnet well that's fairly good redundancy you got to give them that oh well <laughs> definitely there's, there's that's not the only way though is it there's, there are other c- command and control channels yes there's um peer-to-peer networks yeah, so it's using a, a, its own P2P system for... Because that's going to be... I reckon that's going to be the hardest thing to, to infiltrate. Yeah, depending on how it works. And there's just so many different ways that they could be doing an internal 
you know, uh, internal-based peer-to-peer connections. So, be, hmm. so this this botnet is apparently sending out 1.5 billion spam messages every day. Yeah, it has that. It has that potential. That's incredible. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And 650 million of those every day are going to Hotmail accounts. So I guess Microsoft's Microsoft is feeling the pinch from this yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, it's a lovely story. It'd be great if this thing is nuked out of the existence of the internet. But there is one thing that people are sort of have overlooked. One thing that this doesn't address is what to do with all those computers that are still infected with with this piece of malware. Mm, and that's, yeah, it, it's cutting off the head or attempting to cut off the head, but it doesn't solve the problem of all of those infected machines just out there uh, waiting for these things to come up. And you got to remember that the, the injunction that Microsoft's gotten is just a temporary restraining order to temporarily shut these things down. So does that so, mean they have to give the domain names back afterwards? Yeah, well, they, ha- they, they have no you know, permanent control over them. It is just a temporary restraining order. So they will have to give them back. So unless they do something to get at those PCs which are insecure and have been infected, it's just going to come back afterwards. Apparently there's speculation too that there are some innocent domain names that could have been caught up in there because what sometimes happens with these botnets is that you get websites that have been infected with something that basically lets the botnet people use it as another command and control center. Yeah. So well, it's it's a it's a server that's infected. Yeah. So what you're going to get what you could get are some innocent websites out there taken down because of this. I, I I don't know quite how I feel about that because you could say well that's part of the casualties of, you know, I mean it's a bit like, you know, in in the well, war should... you're always going to get your you know some of your own side killed. But on mm. the other hand, can they do this? Can they take, you know, what if it was your website and they took that off air? Well, I would like to think that any website that I was running on a web server that I had any control over would not have any sort of infection. <laughs> well, that's the point. Maybe it's a, it'd be a cue to switch but, hosting yeah, providers. It, I think it would definitely be a wake-up call to any sites which suddenly disappear because of this reason. A wake-up call to them to know that their, their machines are infected and are being used by cyber criminals uh, in a spam botnet, and they should do something about it. That's a nice positive way of looking at it. Now, Intel apparently also were hacked some time ago when Google was hacked at the same time. We don't know that it was connected necessarily. But yeah, is- there's been no reports from any side saying that they believe it's the same group or involved in the same activity of uh, hacking. They just have just made it aware that at around about the same time, they also uh, had intrusion attempts made. They, they said that they are not aware of any uh, of their intellectual property being stolen from this attack. And the attack was quite different to the Google attack. The Google attack was quite broad, uh, a broad-based attack on their systems, but the Intel one that, that they've mentioned was very specific. I wonder what they're after. Is it just for fame to, to take down a, or are they actually get, trying to get in there for you know, information? Oh, who knows? It's, there's many, many different things motivate people to hack different stuff. It might be a criminal organization. It might be a industrial espionage. It could be a government-controlled espionage. It could be, you know, a cyber attack on something. Or it could be a bored teenager or IT person with far too much time and intelligence on their hands and nothing better to do. <laughs> Could be anything. 
Mm. Who knows? It'd be interesting to do a <laughs> study. There's millions of motivations for it. The same motivations that cause most any sort of thing. It would be interesting, though, to do a study to find out what the motivation is behind the various attacks that have been out there and, and just to see what that makeup is, what that pie chart looks like. Mm. See, which ones are just your generic script kitty with nothing better to do, having some fun, or their, you know, their version of fun, uh, and getting a little bit of their name in lights, as it were, and which are uh, about stealing IP, uh, and which are about just causing terror. Well, speaking of criminal activity, the latest thing that uh, people are doing these days, well, they have been happening for a while, actually, is they're using GPS jammers to avoid detection when taking cars and trucks and so on. As most uh, most people with a expensive car and pretty much any lorry carrying any sort of valuable transport has a GPS tracking system in them now so that, you know, they can be found if they get stolen. And as you said, the criminal gangs have started using GPS jammers. This is where it makes you realize how much we actually rely on GPS, or at least how important it is in our lives. How important it is for tracking certain things, definitely. And yet how vulnerable it is. I mean, you know, with these jammers, basically it transmits on the same frequency as the GPS satellites do, but it drowns it out so that the receivers can't detect the original signal from the satellites. So it's, yeah. bas- it's basically like uh, you know turning up your stereo really, really loud so you can't hear what the person next to you is saying. Exactly. It's, it's basically that. And the jammers themselves are not actually particularly powerful themselves because the GPS signal coming down from the satellites is so weak to begin with. You know, it's so tiny to begin with. You only need like a one and a half, two watt GPS jammer to jam everything within 100 meters or so around you. Yeah, yeah it doesn't take a lot. And you know, these things are readily available from China. You can import these things. And in some countries, it's actually le- although it's illegal to use them, it's quite legal. It's fine to import them. Yeah, I've always found those laws, you know, those little loopholes and gray areas quite funny in the different laws. It's like, you, are, you have that GPS jammer. You are not allowed to use it. However, you can, <laughs> we are quite happy for you to buy it from somewhere and bring it and own it. You're just never allowed to turn it on. <laughs> it does seem a little weird. It's like the um, it's like the the radar trackers, you know, the the radar detectors in cars for detecting your police speed cameras. cameras. Yeah, yeah, speed cameras. And it's illegal to use them, but it's not illegal to have one. It, it's I know it's bizarre. <laughs> it, it's quite bizarre. It's just yeah, it, it, it's really bizarre. It's very funny. <laughs> And then, but then, you know, it's, they're not, for a criminal organization, they're not actually that hard to build. The, the interesting part about that, I thought, was that the, the criminal organizations aren't bothered building them themselves. They're just importing cheap ones from China. <laughs> <laughs> so any person with some electronics knowledge would be able to build their own one out of stuff they get from Radio Shack or, or their local electronics component supplier. But they just... <laughs> ship in cheap ones from China. Well, have you considered this? Maybe there's a reason why the law still exists to allow you to bring these in is because they can track people that way. So maybe they're actually secretly tracking the people who are importing these and then they know who's got them. And once you know who's got them, you've got a chance of knowing who's using them. Oh, yes, indeed. That could very well be it. (laughs) Although it does kind of seem like a roundabout way, but... It is a roundabout way there. I don't know. It's just just a thought that popped into my head just now. 
Mm. But it is concerning about all of the other parts which specifically rely on GPS signals, things like the airports, aircraft coming in and landing. A lot of the systems, automated systems around the detection and the air traffic control are all done based on GPS signals. And a, um, you know, unscrupulous person with a more powerful GPS jammer could blanket an airport with a, a, a GPS jamming signal. So, yeah. Yeah, that's of grave concern, actually. Although, having, having said that, the GPS system is, is not guaranteed. It's not a commercial system. It's something that the US military allows people to use. And so, at any time, they can turn that off. Although, mm. you would expect that there'd be some sort of notification. Whereas, with a jammer, yeah. someone flicks the switch. You're, you're piloting a plane. You have no idea that suddenly this thing has been turned off un, until you see the effects of that. Yeah. So and, and I, I guess that's the, the scary thing, as you said. Yeah, it's about people becoming so reliant on these different pieces of technology that when they're yanked out unexpectedly, people either not noticing that they're gone and just merrily going on based on something which doesn't work or people, you know, freaking out and not falling back to the ways that these things happened before GPS existed. Airplanes have been flying a lot longer than we've had GPS. They've been landing at, at commercial airports a lot longer than we've had GPS. <laughs> So it's about pulling back to those different systems. But then a company in the UK is developing with a grant from the United Kingdom government uh, a GPS jammer detector for installation at airports and other sensitive facilities which rely on GPS signals. Well, do, you, do you think that this is going to be a cat and mouse game? Then there's going to be a GPS jammer detector jammer? <laughs> and then a GPS detector jammer detected. Ah, uh, well, I think by the time you start to get into those situations, you're blanketing the the different frequencies so broadly anyway that they'll have come up with a different system than GPS. <laughs> oh, you know, it wasn't so. the 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 um the reliance on American military GPS the reason which the the, the Galileo, European yeah. Union was yeah going to put up their own Galileo GPS systems. Yeah, now that that's true. Although it's going to be sub, it's going to be subject to the same same problem. I mean, sure, you're right. It is commercial. It, well, it will be commercial. I don't think it's gone online yet, has it? I don't know. Well, it's not far away, I think. So, yeah, when it does go online, if not already, it it's going to be commercial. So, you you subscribe to the system, you know, you you pay a usage fee and it's guaranteed, you know, you've got SLAs and so on. Mm. And it can't just be turned off. Although, like any radio frequency system, it's, it's subject to these jammers. I mean, you know, you can build a jammer to jam the Galileo system. Well, just as you ha they just have you, for the, the rig GPS system. GPS, yeah. But it's the same with anything. Anything which goes over a frequency of any kind on the electromagnetic spectrum can be blocked. Absolutely. You can yeah, interfere yeah, with it. It's, it yeah. it's, you cannot not do it. There's no method of transmitting data from one side to another which cannot be intercepted or corrupted in some manner. No, but you can make it quite hard with things like spread spectrum where basically your data is spread across a whole heap of different frequencies at almost seemingly at, at random. You can, but uh, then you've got the the then you start to run into situations where the electromagnetic spectrum is finite. Yeah, it uses up a lot of bandwidth is what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, and yeah that's right. That, that's, the, that's the problem about those things. But the thing is, with, with something like GPS, you know, with well, any positioning, global positioning system, you know, it's, it's only one set of objects, namely the satellites that are sending this out. So, yeah. you, you know, all you've got to do is find yourself 
some some spectrum. So there should always be more than one. Or there should always be more than one system, and you should always be relying on more than one redundancy. You're a very poor ISP if all of your machine, if all of your systems are based on one server, which is one machine sitting in a corner somewhere. If that falls over, you're screwed. You always have redundancy. It's what yeah, telecoms I, 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 I not guess, had quite enough of in the previous stories we had over the past couple of weeks. <laughs> not enough redundancy. <laughs> yeah, how quickly can you say XT? Yes. <laughs> oh, I want to talk about Google Italy as well. Because, well, the, the the ruling in Italy on Google because this is an interesting story that's basically stirred up a lot of people. A judgment in Italy went against Google for some of the content that was on YouTube. And in a nutshell, what what it boils down to is the fact that they were saying that YouTube namely Google, should be responsible for what is on their site. In other words, the content. And if there's inappropriate content, then they are in trouble because they should be responsible for what's on there. (laughs) Yes. So they're saying that every single video that is submitted to YouTube should be vetted by people before it is placed online. Now, YouTube receives more than 20 hours worth of video being uploaded every minute. So you can see the orders of magnitude required for Google to have manpower to view all of that video. That's incredible. 20 hours every minute. That's a ratio of 1 to 1,200. Yep. That's incredible. It is. It would be business suicide for YouTube to try and implement a human vetting process in that. So what's going to happen now then? This is, uh, the decision's been made. The decision's been made? Well, what can Google do? What can YouTube do here? They will obviously appeal. Yeah, sure, yeah. You can, they will you can obviously bottom appeal, dollar appeal. And what else could they do? Well, it is one country, and it's a law which only affects one country. And so Google could realistically do what they threatened to do in China. They could pull out any investment, any business, any service, anything that they have in Italy, they could pull out. And then the Italian courts could sit and twiddle their thumbs because they have no jurisdiction over any other part of the other part of the world. And if the courts wanted to stop YouTube content, then they'd have to block uh, YouTube content from their Italian citizens. And I believe that would probably get quite a lot of the citizenry of Italy up in arms about suddenly losing access to one of the most popular websites on the internet. That would work. I'd say that would work. Yeah. I, I would say that would probably have the <laughs> that ruling overturned pretty quickly. And you know, it's, what's surprising is that it's not as if Google were doing nothing about this. When they were notified, they actually pulled it up, pull, pulled this video off. It was about some, what was the video about? It was It was about some teenagers who were beating up a, a fight, yeah. yeah. Well, beating up a kid with Down syndrome. Oh, that's what it was, yeah, yeah. Yes, they were beating up a kid with Down syndrome. As soon as the video was reported... Um, it went through the regular Google process of that is completely inappropriate and violates every one of our every one of our rules for videos on here, and they pulled it down. Yeah, that's what's gotten thing. most people up in arms about this whole thing is the fact that the the video in question made it to the the most viewed, it made it to the top ranking, and that's because lots of people were looking at it, and so really made the media because the fact this particular video made it to top ranking. 
into the top ranking, got was on the, the top ranking bit on the, the front page. Yeah, because once you get a video there, you get a lot of people viewing it who really don't want to see it, but it's it's top ranked, so they click well, it, and it can be very disturbing. A lot of the stuff is is around, you know, it, it's it's human nature to do these things. Look at the popularity of those ridiculous bloody blahs funniest home videos ones where all you're seeing generally is some poor kid or person injuring themselves in a manner which you can't see the outcome of because obviously they cut off anything outside of that. But you see people hurting themselves and people laughing at it constantly. So these sorts of things, people have a morbid curiosity of this sort of stuff. As soon as it's brought into somebody's attention, people will go and have a look at it. Yeah, but what I'm saying is even though the fact that it's so viewed and features on the, you know, on the featured... Brings it to well, people's it, attention even faster. Exa- so it, even those, it, it it, including those who don't want to see it, yeah. Yeah, it gets to YouTube's attention a lot faster as well. Well, that's true, it does too. Because they is, have well, to this vet is a lot of stuff, and so they go through their vetting process, their systems of people can go, this is an inappropriate video, and can you know, register that. And so Google then goes through and looks and actually does look through those systems. It goes, is this really breaking our laws, breaking our rules? And yes, it is. We pull it. And this thing would have gotten it way high up. So it would have gotten a lot faster. So, yeah, it's... (laughs) Well, this is why it's so surprising because, you know, I can sort of understand it if Google had been notified about this and looked at it and thought, you know, we're not going to take it down. That's one thing. But for them to have taken the action to have actually taken it down reasonably quickly once they were mm. notified, for well, this decision to have been made in the courts is, is yeah, bizarre. It's, well, it's their, the courts in Italy are basically saying that every piece of content on YouTube is YouTube's content. Well, you know because what's interesting? Well, well, this is the thing. If Do they take copyright YouTube of what's say, posted on there? Because that would be interesting. That's, that's the point. YouTube is broadcast yourself. They are facilitating. Well, you'd have to look at that very carefully because we have to look at that very carefully because a lot of sites like Facebook, for example, when you upload a picture to a photo to Facebook, they assume copyright. They they own that. So what would be interesting is to look at the end user license agreement with YouTube. What they are, you know, when you're as a user, when you as a provider of content, do they actually effectively own that video once you've uploaded it? Wouldn't surprise me if that's in the terms and agreement, which could put an interesting spin on things. I don't believe they would be anywhere near as popular a, a service as they are if there was something like that in there. But look at look at Facebook. Look at how many millions of photos are on Facebook and people don't care. They don't think. Uh, are you sure? I would be, once again, really surprised. The amount of time, you know, the instant Facebook makes a change to their privacy settings, people are massively up in arms about it humongously up in arms about it. So there being something in their EULA saying, if you upload content to Facebook, we own that content, then I would have assumed people would have been up in arms about that way more than they would have over the different privacy settings. That well, actually, up. let me just double-check Facebook. So it says, for content that is covered by intellectual property rights, like photos and videos, you specifically give us the following permission subject to your privacy and application settings. You grant us a non-exclusive, transferable, sub-licensable, royalty-free, worldwide license to use any IP content that you post on or in connection with Facebook this IP license ends when you delete your IP content or your account unless your content has been shared with others and they have not deleted it. So actually, yeah, maybe you're maybe you're right. Maybe you still own that content and you're just giving mm. them a, a free license to use it. Yeah, a free license to use it based around your settings and your privacy settings. So but if I'm you sure have content which is 
you know, you have allowed to be viewable by everybody. You know, you've got a photo on there that you've allowed to be used by viewable by everybody on Facebook. Then Facebook can use that image in one of their, you know, random little pop-up things they've got on the side there saying, you know, meet new people, blah, blah, blah. But if your privacy settings have said restricted your use, your display of those different photos, then they can't use them. So it is, it is a lot. You still have control over your content on that. I, I, the thing is, it is worth checking because I, okay, obviously Facebook isn't quite as I originally said, but I know that there was some, there was a story. We may have even covered it in this podcast. I don't remember, or maybe it was before we started this podcast that, uh, you know, there was a, a reasonably big service out there. I don't remember which one it was that actually had that in their license agreement. That was, that came out mm. in the news and everything. And I, I don't know where they back down on it. I thought it was Facebook, but obviously it's not. So coming back to this Google Italy case, it's, it is a strange ruling and it's, it's it not is, practical. It's basically, yeah, it's completely impractical. It's never going to work. I wonder <laughs> it's if it's never going to happen. I wonder if it's so, just a warning thing. I don't thing. know what they're doing about it. Well, it could, it could just be a warning thing. It could be a warning to YouTube to, to try and vet things maybe a little better than they can, a little more proactively. I don't know. I'm, I'm clutching at straws here. But. I, yeah, how? It, it, it's impossible. I don't see how, not with 20 hours of video uploaded every minute, unless they had restricted the, you know, content that you could put onto YouTube, but YouTube would be nowhere near as popular. No, that's as it is now, if it did not have its way. YouTube was a paradigm shift in the way that people thought and people did stuff on the internet. And you could not change that now. Because if you did, if YouTube tried that, then whatever whatever service started up which offered exactly the same thing that YouTube used to offer would be the next in thing. Well, People speak- would just move to the other one which was free and allowed them to upload their own stuff. Well, speaking of pulling stuff down from YouTube, some waves were created when they pulled down a rather popular 80s hit from Rick Astley. Yeah, that was pulled down. That was for a short while, and then it came back up, didn't it? The original—I'm talking about because there are lots of these—but the original Rickroll clip on YouTube was down for about a day or so, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, the the most interesting part about this entire story of the the Rick Astley clip being pulled down was the way that the story got jumped on massively, and people were speculating why it was taken down. Was it copyright infringement taken down? Was it this? Was it that legal wrangle? Was it this place arguing with this place? Is this the reason it was taken down? And then it came back. <laughs> and the, re- the reason it was taken down was? Uh, it had been flagged as violating the terms and conditions of you, you know, having stuff posted on YouTube. And YouTube then, in their process of going through their list of things which had been flagged, found it realized it didn't and put it back yeah exactly it was flagged as spam and uh it was a mistake it sounds back so people are all happy now then they can breathe easy and sleep at night and all the rest of it yep yep rick rolling if we'll continue for the foreseeable future well how long is this phenomenon going to go for this has been happening for a while now oh you know internet memes come and go but they never die you know what? The, one of my favourite ones, and I haven't watched a lot of these because I, I do get kind of bored of them, you know? I mean, it's funny for the first few and then it gets a bit boring. But there was one really good one, and, and this is one where it was obviously taped from, from a television show. It was a religious show. Yeah. 
you know, this is a very serious setting, and there were two presenters, and one of them was reading and saying, and and one letter here is, uh, you know, particularly interesting. The writer says that God is never going to give you up. He's never going to let you down, never going to run you around or desert you. And the, and the other the other presenter is slowly smiling away, and he sort of cuts in and then says, you know, I, I think this is, uh, uh, this may not be a serious but he said it very politely as well. He said, this may not be a serious letter. There's been a, a phenomenon going on the on the internet based around this theme. But in case it is, and then he continues with the <laughs> with, what, <laughs> with what they were, were saying. So that, that was my favorite Rickroll. <laughs> yes, that is quite funny. But uh, yeah, look, who knows where this is going to go. But Brett, that's the end of our international section now. We're done. It is. So those of you who don't care about New Zealand stories can kindly up and leave. So thank you for having stayed with us for this part. And uh, for those of you interested in the rest of the show, stick around uh, after the break. We'll cover the New Zealand stories. Okay, thank you. Welcome back. Now, last week on Monday, not long after our show went out, Telecom suffered yet another failure on the XT network. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, I thought these, you know, every week for a while now we've been reporting about an XT failure. And I thought, right, this is going to be it. They'll have everything sorted. But no, again, there's been another one. There has. It's affected the, the sending and receiving of text messages and making phone calls as well. And once again, <laughs> for users south of Taupo. So basically most of the country. Yeah, most of the country. They've had a few casualties already. The they ch- have indeed. Yeah, Chief Transformation Officer. Chief Frank Transformation Mount. Officer Frank of, Mount. of Telecom. He's gone. And Steve, Steve Lowe, head of Alcatel Lucent New Zealand, he's gone. But he's we don't, gone. He didn't, just to be fair here, he didn't say, we don't know that it's because of the problems with the XT network, but there's speculation that the fact that he's resigned is to do with that. Yeah, yeah. But we don't know, so we can't say We don't this. know for sure, but there, there is speculation. It's not looking good for telecom. And to make things worse, they also had a triple one outage as well, didn't they? The 111 and number was yes, out. Yes, yes. The 111 number was out. <laughs> not good. Not good. It is, oh, they are not having a good time. No. It has gone past the funny. It has gone past the funny part of laughing at the errors. It's gone into the, it's, it's now just painful. It's almost Painful embarrassing, really. It's yes. almost embarrassing for the rest. Of, I don't want the rest of the world to know about this. Maybe we yeah, should. We should, we should be talking about. This. It is. It is. <laughs> we should not be talking about this. The what was the the nation's number one big upstanding telecommunications corporation is ah oh, just having such a bad time with their new network. And and we have to point out as well in New Zealand, this for most of the country, it's the only network. There is no choice for most of the country. Yeah. So at least, at least for fixed line, anyway. So yep. this is uh, this is very embarrassing. What's particularly worrying, though, is that the, the when the one 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 system fell over, the backup failed to kick in. So there were about thirty unsuccessful calls during that time that didn't make it. Mm. Now I guess technology does fail, but you know there are failures and there are failures. There are failures and there are failures. They have tracked down uh, the the source of their failure to one of their, what do they call them, RNCs in Christchurch, and they are now going to install another RNC node in Christchurch, which they tried to do and it didn't work. So they're trying to do it again because <laughs> it didn't come online properly. So they're trying to do that again. They're also installing more backup RNC nodes in Auckland as well. So 
I think we just need a whole new new. Look, why don't we put up Telecom for sale on eBay? <laughs> That's what we'll do. Put the XT network up for sale. Brand new mobile phone network for sale on eBay. Starting bid a thousand bucks. No, I don't think that. I don't think that's economically viable, Edwin. <laughs> <laughs> It'd have to be for a lot more than a thousand bucks, because one of the RNC nodes by themselves is worth significantly more than that. Not telecoms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> you could sell the hardware off for way more than that. Yeah, that's true, you could. <laughs> what they need is they just need it to work properly. <laughs> Easier said than done by the sounds of it. But yeah, look, it is... I, yeah, it's just how all of these different errors going on with their systems there. What was wrong with their planning? What was it, wrong it, with it, their it, network it just, infrastructure there? Did they not have any sort of contingencies about this? Was the hardware supposed to be able to handle the sheer volume of customers they had? Were there no, had they not thought of any of those extra contingencies of everybody turning their phone on at the same time? It's strange. I, 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 have heard that, I have heard in the industry that Alcatel-Lucent don't particularly make the best gear, but I've also heard that from someone who used to work at Alcatel-Lucent, this could just be a rumour, that Telecom didn't particularly implement it in the way that was suggested. So there are a lot of that theories. That would not as surprise me. That really would it not surprise, surprise me. me. either. How many times do you get the, the recommendation for how something should be implemented for it to work properly or be correct or be the best way to do it? And then when that implementation plan is then given to the, the, the people it was made for, they then change their mind, decide to cut costs here or exactly. shave something well, else think here. Think how many beans we can save. Indeed. Think how many beans we can save if we only have one of those there. We only need one. <laughs> it's not going to fall over. It's never going to need to load, they you know, load balance reliable. or anything. We just they, need one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. No. <laughs> oh, yes. For <laughs> for once, I would like to read a story about a you know somebody who's been contracted to create the implementation plan and and the, the hardware setup for something, and then for it to have actually been implemented that way. Yeah, look, I think you're right. There's a lot of instances where people don't implement it in the recommended way because they look to cut costs or yep. to, to deliver and it quicker. And then who gets the blame? Well, yeah. I, well, this is a thing. And, well, and they get the blame, obviously. Well, it depends. I, I've seen... stuff that fell over, but also the supplier gets the blame because it was their stuff that fell over. <laughs> yeah. We implemented your thing. You didn't implement it how we told you to, oh, but we still used your stuff and it fell over. Yeah, so, so you, you get this finger-pointing thing. Yeah, you get the horrible finger-pointing. All right, to wrap up the show, I want to talk about the Section 92A copyright thing that don't no longer exists but may come back to haunt us in a in a kind of a new way as part of the copyright infringing file sharing amendment bill. Yep. They made some amendments to what was originally put forward in the 92A based on the inundation of negative feedback they received over Section 92A. <laughs> and they've taken a lot of that on board in the creation of the Copyright Infringing File Sharing Amendment Bill, which they're going to have to come up with a better acronym because that's a lot of them to say. It's a mouthful to say. <laughs> it is very really long. <laughs> uh, so they have taken a lot of those things on board. It, it is a three strikes thing. So under the new bill, you will receive three warnings. So it's a three strikes bill. 
The first is a notice that you have been detected as infringing copyright. Then you will receive a warning notice. And finally, you will receive a enforcement notice. So those are the uh, three strikes, right? Those are the three strikes. The three separate instances of alleged copyright infringement. Yes, Yes. So there's your three strikes. So your enforcement notice, the final one that is issued, will either see you being fined up to, at least it has a maximum. It's got an upper limit to how much it's fined. It's not like the American system where the recording industry can sue the client for $1.5 million in damages. It's got an upper limit of about 15 grand, I believe. Or they can have their internet disconnected for up to six months. Now, one of the things that they do actually do right in here is that the bill does incorporate proper time frames within which infringement notices cannot be sent, giving the accused time to actually amend their ways if they are actually infringing or to come back at the accuser. So if you haven't done it further. and you've been falsely accused, this is what you're talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. If you haven't done it and you've been falsely accused, you can then go straight back to them and have your case heard by the copyright tribunal at no cost to yourself. Now, that's that's good. This that, is good. That's definitely a good part. So it's not, it's, it's not a blind three strikes. It is kind of three strikes without proof. But your chance to, as you said, if you really didn't do it, to actually go back through a, the copyright tribunal and and demonstrate in some way that you have not actually downloaded that song or whatever it is that you were accused of. So that's really mm. good. And then, like you said, the important thing here that may get missed by a lot of people is that it's at no cost to you. So that's the yeah. important thing because well, to have to it, go to court normally costs a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're initiating. Well, if you're initiating, it, is, it isn't at no cost to you, but it is not. It's also at no cost to the accuser. Because it goes through the, it, it, it's tax paid. It's taxpayers who pay for the, 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 the court hearings. So everybody pays, basically, for each of those cases. And the other part which comes back to bringing in some mediation into this is that final enforcement notice actually has to go through the courts. Oh, now that's interesting. So the copyright yeah. holder has to go through the courts, and so at least then the the you know the the, the public courts are, are set up to hear both sides, and there is that going backwards and forwards to see whether or not you know there was proof. It certainly seems a lot better than the section ninety two a thing that we yeah. that we had that yeah. we proposed. It's still not it's still not good enough, in my opinion. It's still not good enough. But we have a hardopi. We have a hardopi. It's called the copyright tribunal. But hasn't we had a copyright tribunal for a while? Oh, yeah. Okay. I was getting excited because we had a Hadopi and France had a Hadopi and I wanted a Hadopi just because I like the name. Yeah, but it wasn't going to be called a Hadopi anyway, so. Oh, yeah. Ah, to you and your Hadopi. <laughs> for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, just have a listen to episode 11. In fact, it's called Hadopi, so, yeah. <laughs> it's on the right track. It it's is on the right track. It's not quite right, but it's on the right track. They they also do some other interesting weird sorts of things. They they put the burden of tracking the infringement notices on the ISPs, so it, it's not a Hadopi which tracks any of that sort of stuff. It's oh, I not see. The, it's not centralized. The, the yeah, copyright it's, accuser. It's the ISP having to deal with tracking the the three strikes process as best they can. The bill also includes some extra people as ISPs. So, for instance, universities 
would be considered an ISP. And the university would then have to monitor and keep track of the infringement notices sent out to all of the people using the internet through themselves. And so for the ISPs, actual ISPs, who's going to end up paying for that? The end user anyway. So, yeah. (laughs) This almost seems like a good middle ground, though, because it still gives the copyright holders uh, something that's reasonably practical for them to actually act on. You know, so if, if they really do suspect that, you know, someone's downloading their material illegally, that they have a channel to go through that's not burdened by huge costs that make it, you know, not feasible to, to follow up on. But it's, mm. it's still not weighted too much in, the, in their favor so that, you know, we have like what we had with 92A where there was going to be three strikes with no proof and that was it and you're out and you what can you do? So to me, it seems like a good middle ground, to, to be quite honest, because you have to also look at, as I say, that you have to look at the copyright owners and you can't put, put a system in place that gives them no ability to act when there are cases of copyright infringement. Mm, that is quite true. All right, Brett, that's, I think that's it. That's our show, number 55. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for co-hosting it with me. It's been a blast. It has indeed. So that wraps up episode 55 of The Boys of Tech. Thanks to everyone for joining us. See you all again next week. Bye-bye.